listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. chapter number four is where we're going to keep going in our study on the book of Acts. Now, if you know uh, our current climate, if you're a follower of Jesus and you uh, have been paying attention to the news and, and maybe you work for, for different places that have rules, you, you will, well, every place has rules, but you'll get what I mean in a minute. When we find ourselves as Christians in this country we're discovering that more and more our Christianity is under fire. Would you agree with that? Christianity is under fire. Would you say that that if you're going to live your life as an outspoken Christian, would it be fair to say that you're going to face opposition from this world that we live in? Is that fair to say? Of course it is. And some of you have even faced some opposition As a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not afraid to tell others that you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to come into contact with people and systems that are going to be contrary to what you claim as most important, and that is faith in Jesus. You're going to find that, and I think we're going to find that increasing more and more and more. So what are we going to do when we face conflict as Christians, because we're followers of Jesus, how are we going to respond to that opposition? Well, many of us already have a strategy for responding to Christian conflict. Many, I would say, maybe even most of us have a strategy. In fact, probably all of us have a personal strategy for facing conflict as a follower of Jesus. You know how I know this? Because I follow many of y'all on Facebook. And I know you have a strategy because you tell us what it is so publicly on your page. But I wonder if God's word and this little picture that Luke's going to show for us this morning is going to help us to rethink how we navigate conflict as believers. What if we were to leave from here today going, wow, I've been approaching this thing all wrong. I need to adjust my approach to my life as a Christian so that when I face conflict, I can do it with power and confidence in the God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wouldn't that be a good thing if we walked out of here with power and confidence with a strategy that's guaranteed? Acts chapter number 4. I'll read the first 22 verses. Here's what it says. And as they were speaking to the people... You hadn't been with us? Who are they? Peter and John. Peter and John were going to the temple in the, in the previous context. They were going to the temple at, the, uh, at appointed hours, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They were going to pray, and this gentleman who had been crippled from birth stopped them with a request for money. He was a beggar. He was doing all he could to try to support himself by just the generosity of the folks that would give to him. And so he, he caught the eye of Peter and John, and he said, Do you have any alms for a man who can't support himself? And we learned last week that Peter stopped and looked at him and got his attention. He said, look at me, man. Look look at us. We don't have any money. But what we do have 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we give you stand up and walk, we say. The Bible tells us that Peter reached down and helped this crippled man up onto strong legs that hadn't worked in all of his life. And he stood and began to walk and run and leap and praise God. And folks started seeing what was happening. And they were like, hey, isn't that Ronnie that was been at the gate for all his life and he's been lame forever and he's running around and he's praising God and he's, he's hopping and leaping. How is this possible? And the crowd gathers around Peter and John and Peter begins again to preach totally off the cuff. On the spot, not prepared, didn't have them sit down and let me pull out my notes, point number one. No, Peter, just in the power of the Holy Spirit, began to tell those astounded onlookers how it was possible that Ronnie, who, his name, not really Ronnie, but just first name, come to me, how that this fella who was lame is now able to walk, I'm going to tell you, it's through the power of Jesus from Nazareth, the Messiah that you folks killed but God raised up from the dead and now through Jesus and his power, not through us but through Jesus, this man is able to walk by faith in him and if you'll put your faith in him you too can have a transformation like this man possibly not by the ability to walk or have something fixed physically that is broken, but you will have your heart changed if by faith in Jesus you place your trust. So that's where we're at. Peter and John are preaching to these folks and they're asking questions and they're giving them the answers. As they were speaking to the people, verse number one, the priest and the captain of the temple And the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many... Uh, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Let's just pause right here in our reading of the Scripture, and let's just talk about what's happening here. Well, we see a group of people annoyed, and we see a couple of guys arrested. We see some folks annoyed, and we see a couple of guys arrested. Well, who were these folks that were annoyed? Well, Luke tells us it was the priests, and those were the folks that were in charge of, of, of running the temple worship. So they would take care of the prayer time, and they would, they would uh, give structure to that. They would tell the people what we were reading and how we were going to respond. And it was the priest's job to lead worship in the temple. But it also says that there was the captain of the temple. Who is this? Well, he is a police chief, if you will. The temple had its own security force because just like in in today's world where we have a safety team uh, to, to be on the first response of those that might want to cause trouble while we're engaged in worship, they too had to be aware of things going on because there were those out there that wanted to stir up trouble mostly because of Rome's influence in their life, but we could go on about that. So they had a police force. 
So the priests are hearing some things. The captain is seeing all of these folks gather around. There's this great commotion and what's about to happen. And it also says the Sadducees. Well, in the temple was a group of of leaders known as the Sanhedrin. It was the 70 leaders of the Jewish people who had authority given to them by Rome at this time to sort of shepherd the folks and if you can keep them at peace, we'll leave you folks alone. We don't want to create any kind of unnecessary upheaval. So the Sanhedrin had been given responsibility to lead the people through their religious uh, aspects of life. And so these Sadducees now are with the captain and the priests And they're annoyed. Why were they annoyed? They tell us right here, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, there were a couple of of sides that you could fall on, uh, theological sides. If you were an educated person in Israel, you were a a rabbi-educated person, you were probably going to fall into a couple of categories of belief. You were probably going to either follow the way of the Sadducees or you were going to follow the way of the Pharisees. And these folks differed in their beliefs. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees believed in, in spirits that the scriptures uh, communicate about, angelic spirits. And they also uh, believed in angels, the, the Pharisees did. The Sadducees, on the other hand, said there was no resurrection, there are no spirits, and there are no angels because the Fer- uh, Sadducees followed only the first five books of the Bible known as the Law of Moses, the Pentateuch. So when these guys were preaching in the name of the resurrected Jesus, these temple leaders were saying, Hold on a minute, you're teaching a doctrine we don't believe in here. And they were annoyed by it. So they were coming to them to confront them on the message they were teaching. Not only were they annoyed at what they were teaching, they were annoyed that they were teaching without permission. Because who gave you permission to stand in the temple and teach these people that's our job and we didn't tell you you could so they were annoyed and they brought their muscle to confront them the bible tells us that not only were these folks annoyed but they had the power to incarcerate the bible tells us that right here that they were arrested and put in custody probably because of the late hour They figured, well, we don't have time to have an inquiry tonight. We don't have time to do a legal trial tonight. So let's put them in jail. If you've ever spent the night in jail, raise no, I'm just kidding, don't raise your hand. Just kidding. I've never spent a night in jail. Uh, can Can I give you another one? I don't want to spend a night in jail. I just don't see myself as very jail prepared, okay? I just don't see that, that I'm going to provide anything but some sort of whipping post in jail. I just don't want to go there. Oh, and I'm probably sure that many of you don't want to go there. Teenagers, trust me, listen to your mom and daddy. You don't want to go there. 
And we have laws that are supposed to protect the dignity of those who are under incarceration. Not then. You know who was in charge of this particular prison that was so close to the temple in Jerusalem? The Romans. And you know, the Romans don't care about anybody but the Romans. And if you were not a Roman under their care, they took great joy and sport in making your life miserable. So I want you to imagine for a minute Peter and John on this high of having in the name of Jesus seen a man healed and now these folks are coming and they're asking questions and Peter's just preaching and I mean he's telling them what for and now they're being arrested. Now if you'll think back just a few weeks prior, maybe a couple of months, who did they see arrested for no crime whatsoever? What did they do with him? And what had Jesus told them was going to happen to them? He said, they're going to hate you because they hate me. Because you love me, they're going to hate you as much as they hate me. And what they do to me, they'll do to you. Be prepared. Now, what do you think was going through Peter and John's mind as they're being tied or shackled and marched away possibly to the very same place that held their Lord? They were most likely thinking, well, this is it. This is it. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. We're going to die. They annoyed those that were listening. They were arrested. But look what verse number four says. But many of those who had heard the word, what does it say? Believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Here's what we don't know. We don't know if what Luke is saying is that 5,000 more folks believed. So if you take the 5,000, if if that's what he means here, and you add it to about the 3,000 that had believed on the day of Pentecost, then that would end up being about 8,000, right? And that's just the men. You think their families had believed? Probably wives and children. So this little thing called the church that started with about 120 folks has exploded with growth. So we don't know if Luke is saying 5,000 more or with those who believed in this particular circumstance, the number has now increased to 5,000. Can I just say either one of those totals is going to be pretty phenomenal, right? When was the last time that you saw somebody come to know Jesus as Savior? And within the course of a couple of months, it may be 8,000, but it's at least 5,000 new believers in Jesus, Messiah, crucified, risen, returning. So it's a pretty big deal. 
So no doubt Peter and John were thinking, this is it. But don't you know they're hearing out of the crowd? We believe Peter. Hey, I believe too, John. Be strong. I believe I'm with you, man. Don't you know as they're walking away thinking, this is it. They may also be thinking, Jesus was right. They're not going to be able to stop this thing. I mean, they killed the Savior, and he's not even here. And there's more followers of him now than there was when he was here. They're not going to be able to stop it, but still, this is it. We're going to die. They annoyed some folks and were arrested. Verse number 5 tells us how long they stayed in jail overnight. Don't you know it was hard on them that night? Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers, talking about the, the Jewish people, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. Let me pause real quick and just kind of catch you up on who these folks were. I'd already talked about the Sanhedrin. So these rulers, these, these scribes, and these elders made up the group of 70 known as the Sanhedrin. These were the religious leaders. These were the visible power in the nation. It'd be kind of like Congress. This is the folks that are in a position of authority. Everybody knew their name. Everybody knew what they did. Their clothing identified them. Their place of importance identified them. And if you ever crossed them, you would find yourself in the middle of a semicircle of a bleacher-like a set of bleachers in a semicircle with all 70 of those looking at you. And that's where we find Peter and John with the Sanhedrin. But Luke tells us there were some more folks there too. And with them was Annas, verse number 6, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Now, Luke may have been referring to Annas as the real power behind the high priest because the historical documents, Josephus tells us that at this time, actually Caiaphas, who was Anna's son-in-law was actually the high priest at that time. But the whole notion is is that while son-in-law had the title, who was operating the puppet strings? Papa-in-law. Now we see these jokers show up a couple of months earlier in another trial with another individual who was wrongly accused, and his name was Jesus. And we see Annas, and we see Caiaphas, and we hear Caiaphas say, well, why should we all die when one could die for us all? And prophetically announcing the gospel unbeknownst to him. But now we see Annas and his little puppet boy Caiaphas, and we see John, who was most likely the son of Caiaphas, so he was coming along, granddaddy or, or, or papa and daddy and grandson. And then there was at, uh, Alexander, who was probably connected to Anna somehow, cousin, and the whole priestly family. Now these guys didn't normally come to these meetings, 
Because according to Jewish law, they didn't have the power. <clears throat> but invisibly, who were the ones running the show? Annas and Caiaphas and the priestly family. Chuck Swindoll said that when Peter and John were brought up in here, he said it would be like standing in a joint session of Congress and the Mafia. Think about who Peter and John are looking at. They're looking at the legal authority, and now everybody's turning their ear to the illegal authority that's come in. So we've got not only the government, but the Godfather. And they bring these folks in. What are they trying to do? They're trying to intimidate them. We killed your master. We killed your rabbi. What in the world are you doing teaching in his name? They're going to try to intimidate him. What are they hoping that they're going to intimidate them into doing? Recanting their statement. You look throughout history and the inquisitions and the things that the church has done in a in a. a Wickedness that cannot even be described that for years after religious leaders have turned fingers and stretched bodies and cut open folks trying to get them to recant their faith in Jesus. And that's what these folks were doing right here. They were bringing in all the pressure, all the heavies. And here's what they did. When they had set them, verse 7, in the midst, they inquired. They asked them a question that they knew good and well the answer to, and here's what it is. By what power or by what name do you do these things, men? Let me ask you a question, fellas. Whose name are you preaching? Whose authority are you in this temple preaching? Whose authority gave you the right to do what you did? And I think what they were expecting these two men to do was to go, uh, sirs, uh, honestly, we don't know what happened. And we'll forget about it. If y'all can, we'll just go on to the house. That'd be fine. If y'all want to, we can just call this done. Whose authority did you do this? Verse number 8, then Peter said to them, right? No. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deal done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? You've got us here because you want to know in whose name this crippled man has been healed? Oh, well then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. I think Peter's saying, can you hear me in the back? You want to know whose name is responsible for this good deed? 
Hey, is anybody out there listening on the outside? Let everybody know this. By the name. Let it be known to all people. By the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah from Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him. This man is standing before you well. Now here's a question. Did the man get arrested too? For making such a ruckus. You, you think maybe they put him. I mean, he's jumping. He's hollering. He's the one causing this thing. You think they might have put him in shackles too? Maybe. Or maybe he watched these guys get put in prison. And as soon as those temple doors were open for the convening of the, of the Sanhedrin, this guy's going, I got to get in. Hey, I'm the one that caused this. Y'all know me. I'm Ronnie, the crippled man who ain't crippled no more. Let me in there. Peter goes, can y'all hear me? Oh, you want to know, y'all know whose name? That's why we're in here. Okay, I'll tell you again. In the name of Jesus the Messiah, the one from Nazareth that you folks crucified, but you could not keep him dead. He was raised by God himself. That's the one who's responsible for healing. So you want to know whose authority we're teaching and preaching in? You want to know who gave us the authority to tell these folks about him? It's Jesus, Messiah. Now here's what Peter and John in defending themselves did. They put on a defense that was irrefutable. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've watched a few episodes of Law and Order. And I've seen how it goes down. We, we get the arrest, then we do the prosecution, and then we put them in the jail. Or we get them off because they're not guilty. And I go, you know what? I, uh, I could probably do that. I watched a lot of episodes of ER as well. Asked my wife what happened to me when I saw our firstborn son come out of her C-section belly. It ain't pretty. Bottom line is, I've watched some law shows. I've never been trained in the law. I sure have never sat in front of the Supreme Court. Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I I, I don't know what to say. That ain't what Peter did. Peter did. I'm going to tell you all something. You folks, he didn't say this. Why don't you think about who he's talking to? You folks come in here and you pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I know that most of you folks only listen to the first five books of the law. So I'm going to stick with what you know. You know good and well that Moses told y'all that another prophet like him was coming. And you know that God told Abraham that he was going to send a descendant that was going to bless all the nations. And you know this one who was coming is Messiah. I know what you know. I know the God you pray to. And I know what you and all the rest of us have been expecting. And guess what? He came. You killed him. God raised him. 
That's whose name I'm preaching in. So you don't need to give me authority to preach in his house. I'm going to talk about him no matter where I'm at. And y'all all need to recognize it. Yeah, don't laugh at me. I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what Peter said. Any other questions? Wow. We see these guys tried and we see their defense. Let's keep reading. Verse number 11. This Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that has become the cornerstone. Now, y'all don't think I know nothing, but I know Psalm 118. I know what it says. Y'all do too. Hey, in fact, you know what? I know that Jesus, Messiah from Nazareth, was talking to y'all one day, and y'all asked him what authority he had to do and say the things he was doing. And you know what he quoted? Psalm 118.22. And I'm going to tell you what, what authority I've got to do these things. The stone that the builders have rejected the one they said was not worthy, the one that they said could not be built upon, that's the stone that God has made the foundation. Any of y'all ever built a house? Anybody ever been a part of building a house? What's the most important thing in building a house? The foundation. You get the foundation wrong, I don't care what kind of stainless steel appliances you've got, your house is in jeopardy. I'm going to tell you this, y'all. This Jesus, he's the stone that David was referring to that is the foundation of God's kingdom that has been promised. You're praying to Yahweh in this place right here. You're assuming leadership authority from the God of Abraham and you've rejected his own Messiah. He's the one that you rejected which has become the cornerstone. And then verse number 12, it might be one of the clearest gospel verses in all the scripture. If they missed all of that, here's what Peter says. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His name gives me the authority to do what He has told me to do and say. And it is in His name that you'll be saved or you won't be saved saved. There's no other name. That's an important verse. In fact, it's so important that we're going to say it together. But when we get right here, we're going we're to inflect it. No other name. Got it? Y'all know what we're doing? Alright, let's say this together. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know all you need to know to tell someone about Jesus. Now they might not get it. You might not fully understand it. But that 
is the gospel. There's salvation in no other name but Jesus, crucified and risen God's Messiah. To any who call on Him, He is ready to take just as we are and bring us into the family and make us new and clean and useful to Him. Ain't that good? And Peter's standing in front of the Supreme Court, Congress, and the Mafia. Why is he able to do this? Verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. Under the control of the Holy Spirit, he's saying exactly what God wants said at exactly the right time. Now I want to make sure that you understand something. That while he's speaking this doesn't reflect arrogance or insurrection. You know, Peter probably even didn't raise his voice like that because that might have come across as being, you know, puffed out. No arrogance, no insurrection. We really like that. We really like the, the stuff around 1776, don't we? Because it, it, we like that idea of thumbing our nose at the king and bring it. We like that. That's not what Peter did. Peter spoke with boldness and grace and humility. Because Jesus never puffed his chest out neither. He just said what was. And he stood on those truths. And now under the control of the Spirit, Peter's doing the same. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that these were uneducated common men. See, there's hope for us, y'all. These guys didn't know nothing. I mean, they certainly weren't prepared to stand in front of that crowd and make a professional defense. They're looking around going, what just happened? How did these guys do that? They were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Like Jesus, these men had received no formal theological training. They had not sat under a recognized rabbi. It's very, very clear that Jesus did not follow the name of a recognized rabbi because when he came onto the scene, nobody knew who he was. Where did you come from and how can you know these things? The same is true for Peter and John. Oh, we know they've been following the rabbi for the last three and a half years, but these folks don't recognize it. So what they're saying is flippant. This idea of we don't know who's been training them, but he sure sounds a whole lot like Jesus. Man, wouldn't you like to be accused of that? They recognize they'd been... Seen with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed. So it's Peter, John, Ronnie. And he's smiling and waving, probably doing his thing and showing them. I can walk now. Y'all been seeing me? I've been crippled all my life. And seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So trial, defense, It's all over. Let's all go home. Y'all keep doing everything you've been doing, right? Because the facts speak for themselves. Wrong. 
We see some folks being annoyed. We see a couple guys getting arrested. We see these guys standing trial, and we clearly hear their defense. Verse number 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council. Okay, guys, get out of here. Guards, watch them while we talk. They conferred with one another. This confer- You know what they were not doing? They were not going back to the jury room trying to decipher the facts. They were not going back to the jury room to make sure that there was, you know, no evidence that, that, that persuaded them beyond a reasonable doubt that these guys should suffer for what they're doing. They weren't going back to find truth. They were conferring one another with the attitude of disbelief. They were conspiring with one another. They were looking for what we can do to stop these guys. They conferred with one another saying, verse 16, what should we do? What are we going to do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. They've healed this man and thousands have seen it. We can't deny it. And they say it's in the name and by the authority of Jesus who we crucified and God raised from the dead. What are we going to do? What should they have done? They should have hit their knees, tore their jackets open. God Almighty, forgive us for doing this thing against you. Could you possibly forgive us? Could you possibly save us that rejected you in such a violent way? Could God have done that? Yes, he could. Would God have done that? Yes, he would. But what did they say? Well, what are we going to do? We can't deny what has happened. The facts speak for themselves. 17. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them, no, uh, let us let, speak no more to anyone in his name. Let us warn them. Verse number 18. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Y'all, y'all seen uh, probably around Christmas time, y'all seen that movie... Um, uh, a Christmas story? You've seen that movie? Do you shoot your eye out? Yeah, okay. And so in a Christmas story, there's a couple of bullies. Do you, anybody remember what their names are? One of them's Stoogie, right? That's the little ones. Or well, I don't remember what his name Do you remember his name, Stacy? He's redhead, and he's not a pretty young man. Anybody? Scott Farkins. Thanks, Jay. That's all. You remember what the, the little buddy was? You remember what his name was? But he, you know, he had that, he had that uh, raccoon hat on. And, and, you, and, and I, so when I think of bullies, I think of Scott Farkin, redhead, and I think of him looking like this. He was a little skinny dude, right? You know, but he was tall and he was bigger. That idea of bullying. Okay, all we can do is threaten them. But I think if we show them we mean business, hand in fist, we get over on them. I mean, if we lean, we get right down on them. They're sitting, they have to lean back and they can smell our breath and they can see us and we'll show our 
fist in our hands, maybe pull out some knives and rattle them around, pull back our belt, show them what we can, you know, we're going to intimidate them. They're going to know they don't want to mess with us no more. So they brought them in. And they charged. They did the best they could to threaten these guys. They got up in and they charged them. Don't you ever, if we hear you do, sounds like sometimes parents, don't it? We go, if you do that again, I'm going to, no, we're not. But we do it because we're trying to get them to stop and we really don't know what we're going to do. Don't you ever do that again. (laughs) Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them. I imagine, I imagine they're thinking, if y'all was going to do something, y'all had already done it. Huh. John, we're not going to die today. Maybe. We're not going to die today. Peter and John answered. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. That's kind of a going around the bush way of going, okay, you're going to have to decide for yourself whether me listening to God rather than listening to you is right or wrong. I mean, I kind of got an idea that what we're doing is right. We're listening to God. We're not listening to you. But you're going to have to decide for yourself whether or not we're doing the wrong thing by listening to God. That's up to y'all. Y'all got to figure that out. But verse 20 says, For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. I don't know what to tell you, guys. When we get out of here, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing because that's all we know. We can't help it because, see, the one you crucified and the one who rose again, we watched him go up into heaven, and he told us to tell folks about him. I just got to tell you, I'm going to do what he said instead of what y'all said because y'all couldn't stop him, and he said y'all wasn't going to be able to stop us even though you kill us, so I'm going to go with what he said. Y'all going to have to decide whether or not that's right or wrong because we can't help but tell others what we've seen and heard, verse 21. When they had further threatened them, pushed them around, put the light on them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because of the people. Because the people saw what had happened. The people knew about Ronnie. There wasn't no denying the facts. They knew this joker could walk now, and they were hearing, and folks were believing And tides were changing, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this side of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. For 40 years he'd been crippled, and now he's running around. He's actually obnoxious now. He's running around. Ain't no denying what Jesus has done. People said, we can't hurt him. We got to let him go. So we see some folks annoyed. We see a couple guys arrested. We see the trial and the defense. We see the threatenings, the bullyings, and then ultimately the release. We watched a couple of followers of Jesus face incredible opposition. Are there some lessons for us to learn? I want us to key in on three ideas. And they come in the area of being annoyed, being a defender, a bold defender, and then being threatened. And I want us to think about these for a minute. So as we face opposition as Christians, Jesus has said, we're going to be rejected. 
We live in America where we can talk freely about Jesus. We have it in our minds that we are going to face conflict. We know it's true. Many of us are married and you go, yep, life's going to be conflicting. And it's so conflict in the home, conflict at work, conflict at school, conflict on the highway, conflict at the Walmart, conflict everywhere you turn around. And we get so used to conflict that we think it's normal. It is not normal for the Christian. You read your New Testament, you're going to discover that God addressed conflict in the body with those we know. And he basically says, I want you as much as it depends on you to live at peace with all men and women. I don't want you to get used to conflict, certainly not the conflict you cause. Don't be a causer of conflict. You find all through the New Testament, not only with the folks in the body that we know and love, but the folks outside in the world. We're called to live beyond conflict. Don't be the cause of conflict. However, if you are going to cause conflict, Let it be only your zeal for the great commandment and the great commission to be what ignites. What's the great commandment? Jesus said, I I, I didn't write it down. It's in Luke. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When one of these rulers, one of these leaders asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this. Here's the greatest commandment. Love Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is wrapped up in those two. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. That's what Christ has commanded us to do. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. If you don't love people, it's probably because you don't love God the way you love. Because you love God, then his love is going to come out in you for people. Love God, love people. The great commandment. What's the great commission? Jesus said, now I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. I want you to love God. I want you to love people. And I want you to be my witnesses everywhere you go. If we're going to have conflict in our life, let it be our zeal for loving God and loving people and wanting to tell them about Jesus to be what creates the conflict. Let us annoy people in the same way that Peter and John annoyed them. You know, Christians are annoying today. Christians annoy the people around them. You know why? Because we're self-righteous, We're arrogant. We always have to be right. And and we're pushy and we're not very kind. And we think that the world owes us something and that they ought to act like we act because it's the right thing to do. We annoy people for all the wrong reasons. What What if we began to be so zealous about loving God and loving people and telling folks about Jesus that that is what annoyed them about us. That they just get tired of being around us because of how much we love them, because of how much we love God, and how much we want Jesus to have the same impact in their life that he's had on ours. 
If we're going to be annoying as Christians, let it be in obedience to what God's called us to do. Loving him, loving others, telling them about him. But when we find ourselves in conflict and we want to give a defense for ourselves, let the gospel be our defense. You say, what does that mean? Okay. If we find ourselves in the wrong kind of conflict, you know, one that we created because we're arrogant and prideful and stupid and we have to be right and we want things our way. When we find ourselves in those kinds of conflicts and we have the opportunity to defend ourselves, if we can't do it through the filter of sacrifice, if we can't do it through the filter of what God has done for us through Jesus, that we might be forgiven and set free even as wicked as we are, then we probably, instead of defending ourselves, need to apologize. But if we find ourselves in conflict over Christ, let the gospel be our defense. You, you can't say those things, oh, yes, I can, I'll say that. No, let the gospel. Let the gospel be what comes out of it. Look. I know you're mad at me right now because you think I'm intolerant. You think I'm, I'm following an exclusive and, and a narrow way. I, I am, but it's because God loves you and he's the way. And he loves you and he died for you and he wants to save you. And he, he, just, he just wants to transform you. And that's why I'm about what I'm about. Not defending your honor and making them understand that you're right and they're wrong. Number three. Don't let threats or intimidation cause you to fear. I know that some of you work in places um, that it's quote-unquote illegal or against the rules to tell folks about Jesus. So that, that's what it's going to take. It's just a rule that says you can't talk about Jesus to folks that Jesus has told you to talk about. Well, Pastor Kevin, i got to work. I thought Jesus said he'd provide your need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided. Yeah, but if I do that, I'll get in trouble and I'm just trying to obey the law. Oh, you'll have to decide whether or not it's right or wrong to follow God or man. What I'd rather hear is folks going, you know what? <laughs> they tell me I'm not supposed to, but who are they? I got folks to love. I got a God to serve, and I got people who need to know about Jesus. And, and when they look at us and go, okay, you're going to have to uh, take all of that stuff down, and you're not going to be able to talk about Jesus in the workplace anymore, you go, all right, I'll take down my poster, but you're not going to shut me up. Well, we'll have to fire you. What is our first thought? You can't do that. I'll sue you. What about do what you got to do? Do what you got to do. I'm going to tell folks about Jesus. Not on company time, obviously, but I'm, I'm going to live my life for Christ. That's boldness. I think many of us aren't even in the parking lot of what we read this morning because we're so scared to death to talk about Jesus in this world because we don't want to be labeled a racist or we don't want to be labeled, you know, a fanatic or some kind of weirdo. We don't want to be lumped in with us. So we're just being quiet. Well, that's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to tell folks about Jesus. And when it comes to doing that, who's going to fill us if we'll let him? The Holy Spirit. And what's he going to give us? The words to say. And what's he going to do? He's going to walk through with us whatever we face. Don't be threatened. Don't be intimidated. 
Don't be arrogant. Don't be an insurrectionist. Just speak truth. Speak it in the way Jesus did. And then make up your mind. You don't have this in your, on, on the screen, but I'm going to read it for you. Here's what Jesus told these guys. In Luke 21, 12, here's what he said. He says, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And this will be your opportunity to bear witness. And here's what he said, verse 14. He says, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of, you, some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Verse number 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You know what Jesus, he didn't say you're going to die, but you're not going to die. Yeah, you might die. But you die for me. You don't stop. You keep on. And so does the gospel. So be bold. Stand up. And represent Jesus. And do it with grace. And don't be intimidated. And know that the same God that gave them the words to say will give you the words to say if you'll just let him and you'll represent him and let your zeal for him be what uh, creates conflict and not being silly, stupid, annoying for his sake progress of the gospel so let's stand up for him no, I mean really let's stand up for him while we pray we have some folks going to come over it's like Scott and Kim are coming down Scott and Kim are going to pray with you if you need it down here at the cross we're going to bow our heads we're going to close our eyes nobody's looking around listen if you're a Christian today settle your mind Make up your mind right now. I, I, I want my life to be a beacon for Jesus. And I, I know i got to stop being annoying so that I can be effective. I know i got to stop being intimidated because I don't have to be. i got God on my side. i got his promises. And I, I need to let the gospel be my defense. If it doesn't filter through that, I probably need to say I'm sorry. But if it does, then I need to let Jesus stand for himself. What's God telling you to do right now? If you'd like somebody to pray with you, you can come down. They'll pray with you right now. If you want to wait till we're done, they'll hang around for a minute. You don't know Jesus as your Savior? You heard the gospel today. If you've never trusted him, if you've never trusted Jesus alone as your Savior, then you're not a part of God's family. But you can be. If by faith you'll just trust. God, I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve it, but I believe you love me. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe you raised him from the dead. I believe he's alive and that that is sufficient to forgive me of my sin. God, I believe that you want me to be your child. I want to give my life to you, God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I want to be saved. You trust Jesus in a way similar to that. You mean it. He'll receive you just like you are. Want to know more about that? We'd love to talk to you about it. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that you have uh, 
shown us this morning. I thank you for Peter and John and for their faithfulness. God, I ask that you will help us to be bold in our witness, to be annoying only because of our love for you and our love for people and our desire for them to come to know Jesus. May we see the gospel as the answer to any and everything that we face. God, may we not be afraid. May we settle our mind today. God, we look forward to what's in store. Thank you for this day. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.